Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. This morning's sermon topic is finding joy in the storm, and so a fitting passage comes from James chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. It goes like this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. What a morning it's been. I want to echo the prayer that Faye led us in earlier. What an honor it is to be in the presence of God. And what an honor it is to be in the presence of God's people. What a morning of celebrating the body of Christ here in our Central Baptist Church family. I have been truly blessed over these past few weeks as Barton and Steve have led us into this sermon series that we're calling Through the Storm. None of us need to be convinced that life sometimes has challenges and difficulties and trials. This sermon series is not, however, intended to paint a one-sided pessimistic view of life and say that's all there is to it. Thank the Lord there are seasons of life filled with joy and peace and hope, seasons of meaningful service and joy-filled relationships. This sermon series is, however, about acknowledging that there are times when life really is not smooth sailing. That life, is, that life throws storms at us, and sometimes the wind blows very hard, and we feel sometimes like the little boat that we're sailing in might even capsize. Some of us this morning, I'm very aware, are experiencing the storms of life in quite an extreme fashion. Others of us can look back over recent years and we can see times of pain and struggle. We can remember those clearly in our memories. And all of us, as we look forward, we can see and understand and think realistically to say that until the time when Jesus comes, probably there will be another storm on the horizon for us. Storms, of course, come in many different forms. Sometimes they're financial. Sometimes there's a weight of debt that comes over us that causes a huge amount of stress in our lives. All of us at different times go through relational storms, relational conflict of many kinds, whether it's with family or friends or or colleagues at work, these kinds of conflicts, these kinds of storms can be incredibly life-draining and devastating. Some of us I know right now are experiencing what I would call the valley of grief storms, storms where we suffer loss, and the loss of a loved one is one of the most difficult experiences in all of life. But when we lose anything, we grieve. At times, we go through experiences in our lives where we suffer simply because we're followers of Jesus. This isn't probably so common for you and I 
in the, in the place in which we live. There's other parts of the world where that's more true. There's other places in history where that would be more true. As we saw last week, sometimes the, the storms come our way in our life because of our own poor choices in the past. And sometimes the storms are self-made storms. There's all kinds of other ones, crisis of identity, crisis of faith, storms where we're not sure what to believe, crisis of health where we receive a horrible diagnosis or a loved one does. So many different kinds of trials and struggles that come our way in life. But today, I want us to focus not so much on describing the storms or understanding the storms out there, but I would like to take our attention and put it inside and say, when we experience the storm, how can I respond? What is going on in my heart when I go through a storm? Here's the main question that I would like to address this morning. When I find myself in a storm, what is a healthy way for me to respond to it. Or we could say, when I see a storm looming on the horizon and I know it's coming to me, what's going on in my heart? How can I respond to it? And a similar kind of question is, where can I find a healthy perspective? As we look for healthy perspectives and responses, we might imagine some of the unhealthy responses that we sometimes have to trials. Sometimes we resist or live in denial that this is really happening to me. Sometimes we get depressed and we turn in on ourselves as the winds blow around us. Sometimes we get angry and we lash out at people around us. And sometimes we try to escape. We try to run away. You'll most likely agree with me that none of these ways would be classified as healthy responses to the storms that inevitably come our way. So let's turn to Scripture for some guidance here this morning. And in particular, I want us to turn to this amazing passage in the book of James that Tom read for us a few minutes ago. As we come to this passage, I want us to pay attention to the shock value of the words that James write to us. Perhaps if you've read this passage many times, it's very familiar to you. Perhaps you've become so used to the words that the shock value has worn off. Maybe we've become numb to their significance. However, as we pay full attention to what James is saying to us, we must admit that at first glance, what he suggests is completely unrealistic. Let's look at what he says. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Count it all... Wait a minute. Wait a minute, James. What are you saying? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The NIV translates this, consider it pure joy. This is the emphasis here. It's, James is saying don't just have a little bit of joy, but consider it, this whole thing, pure joy. What? James, what are you trying to tell me? When I was young, that was quite a few years ago now, there was a popular saying that found its way onto bumper stickers and posters in people's bedrooms. It said something like this. If you remain calm while all others around you panic, then perhaps you don't fully understand the situation. This is kind of what we want to say to James. James, you don't get it. You don't get the pain that I'm feeling right now. You don't get the emotional 
turmoil that I'm going through. You don't, you don't understand the intense grief and loneliness that I'm feeling right now. The truth is that if James had stopped his argument here at the end of verse 2, we would most likely write him off as being completely unrealistic and out of touch with reality. But pay attention to the next few words. Look at these next three words that come right after this. For you know, James wants to tell us. And what James is about to do is James, in these next few verses, is going to remind us of four truths that we can know for certain. Truths about who God is and what he has done and how we can take the the pain and the suffering that we're feeling now and put it in a larger context. It's like James is saying to us, do you know what? If you only focus on the trials, you will never understand them. If you only are engrossed in how these trials are affecting you so severely, you'll never get the big picture. And what James is reminding us is these four truths will help us to take this experience, which is so difficult, and place it in a larger context. James is saying, lift your eyes to God. Look around, look underneath, and most importantly, look ahead. Look ahead to where all of this is leading. And when you do that, James suggests to us, then you can find this healthy response within you that even includes joy. So what are these four truths? Let me summarize it this way. The four truths are this. James says, first of all, what it is that trials do. What do trials do? The second thing is, how do they do it? The third truth is, what's the end result? Where is all of this going? He's pointing us forward on a journey, and the fourth truth, he wants us to know that on this journey, there is help, incredible help from God. What do trials do, how they do it, what is the result, and that there is help on the journey. James wants us to know these things for sure. Before we walk through these truths, let's briefly remind ourselves of who in the world is writing this text. James is a very common name in, in, uh, in, the, in the biblical story, as even it is today. But we need to ask the question, who is this James, and what gives him the right to talk about troubles and trials in such a dramatic way? Most scholars agree that the James that writes this text is the brother of Jesus, technically the half-brother of Jesus. But just stop for a moment and think about that. James, who is writing this text, grew up in the same household with Jesus. Jesus was his older brother in the household. Imagine having an older brother who committed no sin. I have two older brothers. They were pretty good, but they weren't that good. We know that as Jesus got to the age of 30 and then began to engage in his public ministry that his family members had a hard time with that. And we imagine James, along with his other brothers, become, becoming disillusioned as they tried to get a handle on what their older brother was up to, all these miracles and all this publicity. And he probably became disillusioned, not really understanding the scope of the ministry of Jesus. As we read further into the story, into the book of Acts, though, where we find James, the brother of Jesus, he's become one of the key leaders 
in the Jerusalem church. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, he's really the one who, who is the one giving the lead voice in the, in the dispute about circumcision in that context. And so we can listen to James because we see him as an apostle who is a key leader in the early church. But we should also listen to James here because I believe we can, we can assume with great certainty that James was a person who experienced great suffering. I won't put it on the screen, but listen to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. On that day, this is just following the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr for his faith. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, listen carefully, except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So this great persecution comes in Jerusalem. Most of the believers are spread throughout Judea and Samaria because of this persecution. But where does James stay? One of the apostles. He stays in this hot spot of persecution. So we imagine James as a person who is very familiar with suffering and pain and trials. From Josephus and other historians, we learn that James most likely was murdered by the high priest Ananias in the year AD 62. So James speaks to us as someone who endured much suffering. So let's listen to his voice. Let's listen to his argument. Let's listen to these four truths that James wants to bring us in on this morning. Here's the first truth. Let's look at it together. What do trials do? Trials test. They test our faith. Look at this verse, James chapter 1, verse 3. For you know, you know that the testing of your faith, we're going to stop mid-sentence because I want us to pay attention to what James is doing here. This first truth almost slips under the radar if we don't pay attention because James is making an assumption here. In verse 2, he's talked about the various trials that we face in our lives. And here in, in verse 3, he's calling those trials a testing of our faith. He's equating those phrases, and we need to pay attention to this connection. What is our faith? What is our faith? Our faith is our belief. Our faith is that deep-seated sense of what we really believe that informs how we live. It's our identity. If we are followers of Jesus, we came to become followers of Jesus by believing, by having faith, by trusting that Jesus really is God made man who came to live and to teach and to die and take on himself the penalty for my sin and to rise from the dead and offer me the gift of new life. I believe this. This is my faith. James is saying this test, these trials come to test our faith. What does this word test mean? The word test here is often used to describe the testing of precious metals, like gold, for example. How do we get pure gold? Well, we take impure gold, and what do we do with it? We put it in a very, very hot fire, and it burns it. But what results is pure gold. The Apostle Peter is another of the apostles who was very familiar with suffering. He wrote the book right after the book of James. If you flip forward in your Bible just a few pages, we find Peter 
saying a very similar thing as James as he opens his letter. Peter opens his letter with a strong celebration of the living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus. And he talks about this inheritance that we have that can never perish or spoil or fade. And then after that, Peter says these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this, in this inheritance you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The same language as James was using. So that, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you hear the similarity in the language? It's like a duet between James and Peter here. Trials come to test our faith, to purify our faith. You're probably asking, so is that good news? I'll bet that hurts a lot. How should I feel about this? Well, let's look to one more person who was known to suffer a lot in the biblical story, and that's Job in the Old Testament of our Bibles. Job was a man who experienced more troubles than most of us. He went through so many troubles, many moments of agony and doubt. But I want you to listen to some of his words of underlying confidence in God. Let's look at these words in Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23, verses 8 through 10. Listen to the cry of his heart as he's going through his trial. Behold, I go forward, but God is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right, but I do not see him. Stop there for a moment. I wonder if that's your experience. Sometimes as we go through the dark times of life, God seems very far away. Perhaps, perhaps that's your experience now. Where is God? But listen as Job continues to this sense of an underlying confidence Job knows this about God, but he, God, knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, tested me, I shall come out as gold. What amazing confidence. So we step back and we seek to listen to James And we hear him say that these trials that come our way, they come to test our faith. And so we go to truth number two and we say, well, how does this happen? And James continues as we look at the rest of the verse here in James chapter 1. He says, how do they do it? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness. It's kind of an old word. It might mean, as it says in some translations, perseverance, endurance. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
Let's be careful to observe this language and its ramifications. Trials are the testing of our faith. And what do they do? They produce something. James uses this word produce. They produce in us something of Christian character. They add or are intended to add this quality that James calls steadfastness, perseverance, Endurance. I like the way one commentator describes the implications of this word, perseverance or steadfastness. This word does not refer to a solitary and exceptional act of fortitude or strength, but to a deeper component of character. That's what God's doing. He's building character in us. Character that manifests itself in various situations. It means, and listen to these synonyms, active steadfastness, staying power, constancy, a determination under adversity. Imagine yourself in a small boat on a lake. You're holding on to the rudder, and a storm blows up, and the wind begins to blow. What do you have to do? You have to hold on to that rudder harder and harder. As the wind blows harder, you're holding on to that rudder. What's happening as you're doing that? The muscles in your arm are growing stronger, right? The muscles are growing stronger as you hold on to that rudder against the wind. The wind is building the muscle in your arms. James is saying to us, this is what's happening. As we're buffeted by the winds of life, as our faith is being tested There's a character that's being strengthened in us, and that character is called perseverance, endurance, steadiness, that ability to hold the course even though the ship is rocking. So here we begin to get an answer. How do we find this way, healthy way to respond to trials? Well, even as the trials come, they do this work in us to build this character of steadiness, steadfastness, endurance, perseverance. So the first truth is that these trials test our faith. The second truth is that these trials produce this character muscle that we might call endurance. But James is also very quick to say that steadiness and endurance is not enough. It's not enough just to have the fortitude of character to stay strong through the trial. No, there's another step. We must look forward. We must look forward with hope. And so we come to the third truth, and that is that what is the result? And listen to what James says. Steadfastness results in this wholeness, perfection even, maturity, completeness, Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Please notice with me the language of a journey here. The language of a process. The ultimate completion of this journey, of course, is when we look forward to the day when Jesus comes back and he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth and we will be completely who God made us to be without sin, without default, in this kind of language. That will be the complete fulfillment. And yet we know that even now as we believe in Jesus and receive this gift 
of salvation, that eternal life begins now, and God is beginning to do this work of making us complete. And so even now, I am on the journey of becoming everything that God made me to be as I was being knit together in my mother's womb. And you are on the journey of becoming everything that God made you to be as you were in your mother's womb. And part of that journey, James wants to say to us, part of that journey includes fire, storms, troubles, trials. Let me try to illustrate this illustration as come to mean a lot to me, but let me just show you two pictures side by side here. A a pottery clay bowl, before fire, after fire. Tell me, what are the qualities of the bowl on the left? What words would you use to describe that bowl? Well, it's soft, it's malleable. It can be easily crushed back down into a lump of clay, right? Let me ask a question. Would you put your salad in that bowl in that condition? Eh, probably not. It hasn't yet reached its, it, its, it, that point where it can be used for the purpose for which it was intended. But what about this bowl here on the right? What are its qualities? Well, it's rigid. It's complete. It's, it's, it's been formed. It's, it is what it was intended to be in the mind of its creator. You can put your salad in it. What's the difference between the bowl on the left and the bowl on the right? It's fire. It's fire. It's not a complete analogy. No analogy is perfectly complete. But I believe this analogy does help us to understand that the trials and struggles that come into our life are like the fire that that helps the pottery to become what it was intended to become. And God is using these trials of life to shape us and form us and make us completely to be who he initially created us to be with all of the gifts, the skills, the personalities, doing away with sin and becoming holy as he wanted us to be. Can you see that God is using painful experiences in our lives for good purpose. With each successive trial, we have this opportunity to become a little stronger, a little more mature, a little more complete. She might be saying to me at this point, well, that's okay to say somewhere out there in the future I'll be complete. Actually, all I feel right now is the flames. And it really hurts. I think James heard what you said because what James goes on to tell us in truth, number four, is that on this journey to completeness, which can be very painful at times, there is help and there is support. There is help for the journey, and it comes in two forms. All of this is supported through, first of all, wisdom, and second of all, faith. Let me read to you James chapter 1, verse 5, where, where James says this, If any of you lacks wisdom... If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We need wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom, well, we were in the book of Proverbs not so many weeks ago. Wisdom is the art of skillful living, knowing how to make good choices according to what's happening to me 
And when I'm in the fire, don't I need wisdom? I definitely would need wisdom. I need wisdom to know how to speak to my loved one who is so disappointed in me. I need wisdom to know when to speak and when not to speak in the midst of a conflict. I know, need wisdom to know how to feel and respond when someone is criticizing me and condemning me. I need wisdom to know even what to think or feel when my loved one has passed away. I need wisdom to know what course of action to take in response to the physical pain that I'm suffering. I need wisdom to know what to do when my resources are almost at an end. I don't know where to turn. I need wisdom. James says to us, God gives wisdom. Turn to him. He would love to give you wisdom. Please note, James is giving us an incredible picture of a good God. We sang earlier, God, you're so good. And no matter how difficult the storm and the trial might be, James is bringing us back to this picture of a God who is good. But James says you need faith as you ask for this wisdom. We need faith to make this bold request. Faith to believe that God knows my situation, that he loves me as his child, and that God has all the resources in the world at his disposal to help me through this fire. And so we come to verse 6. Look at what verse 6 says. But let him ask for this wisdom in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. The good news here, of course, is that, as we've already learned above, these trials that we're going through, they, they test, they strengthen our faith, actually. And so we come back to, to, to how this, our faith is being strengthened so that we can ask for this wisdom from God, so that we may learn to increasingly trust God wholeheartedly, no matter what the context of the storm might be. And so with the help of this wisdom from God and with growing faith, we come back again to the top of our text and we realize that maybe James wasn't quite so unrealistic after all when he said, count it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds. If this constantly good God is doing such character-building work in me, shaping and forming me so that I am moving forward to be completely what he intended me to be, then despite not exactly feeling joyful right now, I may be be able to find this deep underlying sense of joy that God is up to something good, even in this darkest valley. I want to close today by looking at Jesus. By looking at Jesus. In Jesus, we find the perfect example of what James is teaching us. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 2, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And as we look at Jesus, we come back to our question, how can we find a healthy response, a healthy perspective to the sufferings of our lives. Please note something very carefully with me. 
The joy that Jesus had here did not result in him flippantly ignoring or making light of the struggle that he went through. No, not at all. In fact, we can read about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating, as it were, drops of blood as he's in agony, anticipating the storm that is coming. And we see him on the cross crying out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The joy that he, the writer of Hebrews refers to This joy did not remove the pain and the suffering from Jesus, but instead what it did is it took that pain and suffering and it put it in this larger context where Jesus said, I'm looking forward to the joy. The joy of that good plan of a good God who is working everything out towards a good end. And so James is calling us in the midst of the storms that we face, not to make light of the pain, not to make light of the grief that we're feeling, but rather to go through the storm, but also to put it in its larger context so that we may know with confidence that we love and serve a good God who is up to good things in us and through us and will ultimately make us complete in his presence forever. As, we, as I pray, I'm very aware that many of us in our congregation right now are going through difficult circumstances. I pray that you will know the presence of God in those circumstances and that you, through this text, will somehow find courage to look at this bigger picture and see what our good God is up to. Let's pray together. Father, As we come into your presence, we praise you for this text from your word which teaches us so clearly that you are a good God and you're up to good things. God, we confess that sometimes the storms and the trials and the pain and the grief can be overwhelming to us. Even as it was to Job, it can be like that for us. But Father, I pray that you will do your good work in us today. That you will help us even as we suffer the pain and the struggle. That you'll lift our eyes to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to have that joy, that joy of looking into the future. That joy of looking up into your eyes and saying as we sang before, God, you're so good. You're so good to me, even, even when it's so hard. Lord, we intercede, especially today, for those who are feeling the, the flames, for those who are in the hardest season of life. Would you come and bring your comforting presence? Help us to give each other courage today. Let us see your face and find that joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.